This is Emma Wilder, and you're listening to Multiple Eargasms with Kaylee Loring. In this episode, Kaylee is talking to one of my favorite people and very good friends, a literal shining star of a narrator slash author who is unbelievably creative and generous and kind and warm and endlessly, confusingly energetic and somehow good at everything, but so nice and such an amazing community builder in person that it is impossible to begrudge her one ounce of her hard-won successes. And the fact that you probably already know who I'm talking about proves that all these good things I'm saying about her are true. We'll hear them discuss some very interesting and important topics, like sexy nerds and butts. If we're lucky, they may even do a deep dive into some classy and educational Uranus jokes. If we aren't lucky, it'll just be the usual fart talk. Stay tuned to find out. Hello there. It has been a minute since the last episode, and since then, I've written a very long book called Dash Rushing the Play with my co-author Connor Crace. That book will be in Kindle Unlimited September 15th, and the audiobook will be out a couple of weeks after that, duet narrated by Connor Crace and Emma Wilder, featuring Mackenzie Cartwright and Evan Parker. In this episode, I'm so happy to bring you a little celebration of the wonderful and talented human life force that is Erin Mallon. Erin is an accomplished produced playwright for the stage, the award-winning narrator of over 500 audiobooks, the author and producer of some really fantastic audio plays, and most recently, she is the USA Today best-selling author of romantic comedy books, including Smart Asses, a sexy nerd rom-com anthology, which just came out, and I also had a story in that one. You'll be hearing a great conversation. Erin answers some fan questions, hears from some sweet friends with sexy voices. We'll hear a teaser clip from the audiobook for her novella, Showmancing the Bone. And after all that, stay tuned to hear Connor Crace read something for science. Now I'm ready to rock. How you doing? Let's do this. Do it. I just um I just made myself. Have you have you poured yourself a glass yet? Yes, I have a little bit of champagne here. I uh, I just made myself a quick vodka cranberry that tastes oh, nice. it tastes like Kool-Aid and and after the first sip I my mouth suddenly developed tons of saliva. So Great. You're going to sound <laughs> disgusting i'll just be staring at this at the monitor um i'm cheersing your face you got <laughs> my smirky face. smirky face yes that is the definition of a smirk which you i got. know <laughs> yeah, that's good. i've really honed it over the years um sorry are your kids in bed now no and that's oh. another reason i'm like two minutes tardy my my littlest guy Anytime I go into the booth, he just, he loses his mind because he Aww. has me for a little while. Yeah. yeah and he, he stalks my booth. So like <laughs> he sees me going towards it and he just, he runs in front of me. And then I try to lovingly, you know, move him out <laughs> there without him feeling rejected. And it's, um, it's a process. So Aww. I kind of picture you now just like always having 
the baby on your hip while you're recording. <laughs> so, yeah. so. Would, that would never work. He grabs the microphone. He's uh, he's he chats. But it's cool because when they do come in here, I end up doing little interviews with them. So I've got all these. My daughter's almost five. I have oh. all these little interviews of her when she was like three, four. Um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, because she just comes in and she she knows I talk into the booth all day, so she wants to do it too. And I ask her questions, and it's super cute. So maybe I'll start it with a little guy too. Okay. Well, hi. Hi, so friends. Let's just start talking. Let's I'm so start. happy. I'm so happy that we've gotten to be friends. I know. Last time we <laughs> only sort of knew. We had a great time chatting, but now like it was such a good talk. I know we've come so far. We're I'm good. actually. Um, I'm wondering. If you first reached out to me last year because of Emma Wilder, did she tell you about me after she worked on Funny Business? Do you remember? If I, what do you mean? Like, did I reach out to you for smart asses, you mean? Um, yeah, well, like you sort of said, yeah, I guess that was the first thing that you, that we talked about. Like you asked me to be on your IG live thing. Yeah, yeah I think we did that and first, it was like right. right after. Yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't anything Emma said, um, okay. but I could just sense that we had a similar sensibility. Boy, um, were you right about yeah. that. Really, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't put as many farts in my stuff as you do, and maybe I'm missing out. Yet, on we'll, yet. we'll talk about that later. So anyways, I did, I actually had your friend Emma record a special intro for this episode, and it will be very professionally edited in with music later, but I want to play it for you right now so you can oh, hear oh, it. Nice. <laughs> My gosh, that was so did you write that or did Emma? So I wrote the the beginning and the end of it and she yeah. filled out the middle. She was like, oh is this God. too long? I was like, no, it is perfect. Because nobody can talk about you for just like one sentence. You're just like, you're so many things. You know what that felt like? And this is going to sound really morbid, but I felt like I was at my own funeral. Oh, fantastic. That's exactly what we're going for. You know, like, you see that sometimes like, People dearly beloved, like oh my gosh, I wish that person could have heard all those lovely things yes, that we said exactly. about them. <laughs> uh, that was okay. really fun. Thank you so well, much. Well, buckle up. There's going to be more of that later. <laughs> okay. Oh boy. Um, but I love that you and Emma are such good yeah, friends, and true. everything she said is so true. But anyways, um, so yeah, so I had you and Emma and Mackenzie on here to talk about uh, about narrator lady business last year. But you and I kind of bonded as writers this year because of the Smart Asses anthology, which you put together, and it's now a USA Today bestseller. Ah! Congratulations! Thank and, you. Yeah, and you were so great to invite me to be a part of that. And then we also bonded because of Book Bonanza and trying to navigate that since it was our first time. Attending yeah. that event and um and and I'm just so in awe of all the different things that you do in a day and a week uh -huh. and a year and you just seem to have boundless energy and enthusiasm and like this year for me has been about burnout and mental exhaustion and trying to recover from that so I'm like especially curious about what makes you tick and I I know a lot of people are kind of in awe of all that you do as well so we're going to talk about you. Get okay, comfortable with that. Okay. <laughs> so, um, 
So I want to kind of like find out about your background and how it's possible you have all this energy and then we'll get into your narration and the books that you're writing and then we'll talk about smart asses and sexy nerds and butts. So, um, so I want to go way back like did you always have this kind of creative energy since you were a kid and have you always been outgoing did was there like a shy moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I have always been outgoing and I, it's funny now I, I feel like I'm, I'm super private in a way. Um, when I was a kid, I was like, kind of like a ball buster. Like I, really? I wanted to be like the kid in the room that was cracking the jokes and like yep. making the grownups be like, Whoa, she's <laughs> like, I was definitely that kid. Like I remember, um, I remember we used, I was a dancer and yeah. that's what I thought I was going to do professionally. And I remember being in, in the car, I did like a carpool with a bunch of my dancer friends and <laughs> I did such inappropriate things. I, Fantastic. I said, I said to my friend's father who I guess, you know, I was probably like nine, 10. I, his name was Pat. And I said, Pat, I've been wondering what makes Pat tick? Oh my God. <laughs> and, yeah. And her family talks about that to this day. Remember <laughs> what makes Pat tick? And I just, I don't know. And you know, okay, well, we're going to get deep real fast. Yeah. I think that kind of energy that's always been in me got me into some trouble when I was like in my late teens, early twenties. Yeah. But like <laughs> trouble with guys, not yeah. anything not in a dramatic way. I was fine. But like, I thought everyone was my friend and everyone was up for a joke. And I never knew when I was leading someone on yeah. or um, I just, it just never crossed my mind that they'd be interested in me in that way. Yeah, and yeah. I, I can go back and just count over and over the times I got myself in a situation where I'm like, ah, did it again. I thought we were buddies. We were That's not. That's so funny. Like, you yeah. know, that's so funny because I would never describe myself in the way that you just described yourself, but I'm certainly been that way too, just in terms of being so friendly yeah. with people that they think that I'm flirting, but yeah. I'm really just being friendly. And yeah. uh, it was always interesting to me to see women who like actually know how to turn it on when they want to flirt with someone i'm like oh wow i just saw you flip a switch that. is that what you're supposed to do <laughs> not just like shoot out friendliness and flirtatious energy everywhere and then just and, wait and, for and, a reaction yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, we can use adult language right oh part? fuck yes yeah okay i remember this one time um in college this this guy was dating my my very close friend so i really thought there was no energy whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And um, I found out that he called me a cock tease. Well, and, now. Yeah, Aaron's such a cock tease. And I'm like, I have never once considered your cock. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, yeah. it blew my mind that anything like that was, yeah. So I think, yes, always a lot of energy and, and friendliness and wanting to connect. Um, and yeah. as I've gotten older, I've, I don't think I've shut that down, but I have learned how to who to give my energy channel to. it yeah yeah and and know when to to hold it back um, so um so were you the kid who wrote and directed and starred in plays for school or for fun or were you just dancing at first 
I was at first just dancing and then um, wanted to be in the musicals. So oh, um, you did. Yeah. So you also sang or did you want yeah. to be like a backup dancer? I thought I was going to do. No, I wanted to. I wanted to like play the lead in musicals. Um, really? And, yeah. And so that's that's what I did. Um, I throughout high school, at least and college, I um, I did a ton of musicals and um, and then realized when I did my first play, I was like, oh, this might be even better. Oh, okay. Um, so then my whole, my entire twenties and early thirties was all about auditioning for and being in plays in New York. So that's. Oh, that's really? Okay. Yeah. So you, so you didn't do, I mean, but you must've done some ballet, like everybody has to start with ballet, right? Yeah. I actually started with tap and jazz. And oh, then okay. when I got serious with that and I, I was part of a competition team and traveled around as a dancer. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And, and then they were like, you need to take ballet. Everyone who's serious about dance takes ballet. So, right. so did I did. you find it boring? <laughs> you know what? I didn't find it boring, but um, I, I didn't give my all to it. Like mm -hmm. I remember watching my best friend in front of me and like, she knew every single position, like where your arms were supposed to go when you were mm -hmm. in first, as opposed to fifth and then this and that. And I just didn't learn it. Um, I don't, I don't know why I was always watching. I was like, I, I didn't get it. I'm like, oh, your arm goes there. But with all the other styles of dance, like character, jazz, tap, I, I knew it all. Like it was in my bones. But ballet, I never got along as much. Maybe because you had to restrain a lot of your flirtatious energy. <laughs> Maybe. Wasn't it? I'm sure there is performance in ballet, obviously, but oh, I, yeah. I didn't tap into that for some reason. I couldn't right. find it. There. You literally... You wanted to tap into it, I guess, because <laughs> you were a hoofer. Um, that uh, that's interesting. So I, I have always been really intrigued by dancers, and like one of the best friends I had in LA started out as a dancer too. And um, I feel like dancers have mostly have this great personality trait where they're like very curious about the world and kind of up for anything. And I also I find that like I've read a lot of um books by dancers like um autobiographies like martha graham and twilight tharp and yeah. agnes de Mille, the creative and habit. Read that. yeah i have that and um it, they're all really lovely writers i think because dancers have that innate sense of rhythm um mm -hmm. and actors are also annoyingly good writers too for the most part because i think of the strong sense of motivation for the characters so you kind of have both of that going into it but it, it's so interesting to me that you as someone who started out telling stories with your body and movement are now primarily telling stories that require you to stay still for long periods of time does that kind of drive you nuts is it like especially hard for you to sit in a chair at a booth or at well, a desk for a long time or no it's weird it weirdly is not hard okay. for me at all i feel like i've had different like eras of my life yeah like, different phases like the other era. I was thinking the other day about you know there's there's so many people from my past and and like my dance studio and stuff that are very kind and and proud of me and and keep up on what I'm doing and I was thinking the other day like there's this assumption in me that like oh I did what I set out to do like I'm still doing the thing but I'm like actually I'm not like I'm I went from dance to acting to writing. Like I'm in something completely different, but I still feel like the seed of what I'm doing is what I've always been doing. So it's yeah, interesting. It's, it's like stories. 
Yeah. So you did some stage acting or a lot of stage acting in other people's plays before you started writing? Yeah, I, I did a solid, I mean, I did my first play when I was 15 and oh, wow. I did my first play until I was 29, maybe. Um, so did you star in the plays that you'd written ever or like? No, just, um, oh, and, interesting. and that was the impetus to start writing. I, I was getting cast, I, I was always crying in plays. I was always the girl, <laughs> yeah, the girl who was like, and I loved drama. I was cool with it, but I was always like the sad girl that bad things happened to. Oh, man. Um, yeah, because I could cry on cue. I was very emotionally connected. I, yeah. I actually loved it. But then I realized, I'm like, I don't want to do this forever. And right. I, I wasn't, my career wasn't taking off in a way that felt satisfying. And it certainly yeah. wasn't feeding my bank account. Right. And uh, so I you don't write plays to make money either. But <sighs> wanted to explore I had an idea for a play my first play is called Branched which I put out in audio a couple of years ago and I just wanted to explore writing a character that I would love to play and that no one would cast me as um just looking at me and so I wrote this play called Branched and it's about this woman who she just has such a tight hold on her life that it manifests in her body as a this baby she she gives birth to this baby that has branches for arms and legs mm. and no one knows what to do with her and this woman is so she's like a helicopter parent like yeah. um that book tiger mom had just come out and oh, yeah. that energy was in it too um even though she was a park slope white woman um you know in the 2010 or whatever uh -huh. it was um yeah and uh she's she's so committed to my life is perfect and my life is fine even right. though this Maybe has manifested everything that was tight and um, kind of broken in her. Um, mm -hmm. But it's a it's a weird absurdist comedy. It's kind of like Ionesco kind of. Mm -hmm. So that was my first play, and it got produced in New York, and was really exciting. And once I wrote it, I was like, "Yeah, this isn't for me. I'm going to cast someone else." Oh, um, wow. yeah. but it was a one woman show. No, it was oh. uh, four characters. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I wrote a one woman show thinking I would play it. Right. When I'm thinking about myself, when I'm writing, the writing isn't good. That's um, interesting. You know, <laughs> yeah. And when I release that and think of someone else that I think would be amazing in the part, mm -hmm. the writing kicks off in a different way. So. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we'll talk more about writing later, but I want to, so like, let's talk about how you live now. So you have a husband and three young kids. I do. You're you're mostly working at home in your yeah. booth or writing. Your husband sometimes travels for work, yes. right? And you get up at the butt crack of dawn daily. Yeah, it seems to either write or record before anyone else gets yeah. up. My work my work hours are four to seven in the morning. Disgusting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Like I I think some people say stuff like that because they want like pats on the back or they want pity. I actually don't want either. Like, I don't feel like a martyr. It's that's truly when I can get good that's work. The done. quiet time. Yeah. Yeah. And I love mornings. Um, and so having it, I'm working. So you could argue that the time is not fully for me, but I love my work. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if I get those three hours in quality work, whether it's narrating or writing, I feel good. Um, and then because things come up, things come up all the time. Like, yeah, I usually work from nine thirty to eleven thirty after I do kid drop off at school and stuff mm -hmm. but then something will happen and I need to pick someone up or the baby won't nap or like 
things happen. So I need for my peace of mind, I need to get in those three hours to start the day. That's like your insurance basically. Yeah, that I'm moving forward in some way. Yeah. Which uh yeah, which leads to my next question. Like, are you a list maker? Do you have a running to-do list and comprehensive Google calendar, or do you just respond to and do things as they come up or just like all of the above? I mean, yes and no. My my husband and I have a shared Google calendar just so we know who needs to be where with what child when. Um, so that's important. Um, after that, I, I just have a, like I have a running file in my phone of my, my narration projects, mm -hmm. how many hours I want to narrate that month. I have to, I have to write when it's closed because I, I will take on way too much work. Mm. Um, it used to be sort of like a scarcity mindset, but I think now it's just if a great project comes my way, I want to do it. Um, right. It's an author I want to work with. I want to do it. Okay. But I've, I've gotten better at making more boundaries for myself. So if you look at my little, I'm looking at it right now, my little notes file here of my narration projects in this upcoming October, it says closed, really closed, Erin. <laughs> <laughs> because I've written closed before. And then I'm like, I'll squeeze this in. Um, Let's so, see if it stays that way. Yeah. So it's almost like past Erin is like trying to help out future Erin. Like, right. You so you're, that. you're trying to prioritize writing this year more, right? Is that? Yeah. Happening? I mean, narration is, is definitely um, the, the main career I have right yeah. now. It's what pays our bills. It what's, it's what gets us our health insurance. Yeah. Um, and I love it. Um, this, this summer, like August, this month that we're still in right now has been exclusively writing. Um, and it's felt really interesting. It's, yeah. it's, it's felt good. So I'm going to ping pong a little bit this year. I'm going to, um, for a little while, I'm going to do two months fully narrating and writing whenever I can. Oh. And then a month, no narration writing constantly. Oh, um, that sounds ideal. Yeah, and then ping pong a little bit and just just see how things go, because they're they're both um, they both take up an enormous amount of time. So yeah, figuring out how to balance it all. Yeah, and they feed you differently too. For sure. Um, are you a good sleeper? Because I worry that you're not sleeping enough. I know you go to bed early though. Yeah. Um, the problem is like keeping me awake. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my I'm god! Working really hard right now to keep. Yeah, you try awake. to watch a movie with me. It's not going to go well. <laughs> um, do you have time to work out in your day? I do, but that's definitely been something that's not been happening much this month. Um, but my husband is a trainer. He's a CrossFit guy. Get out of here! Oh no, a CrossFit guy. They're so intense. You know, that's what everyone says, and it's <laughs> no. true. But also, there's varying degrees of it. Okay. And I also think CrossFit gets a bad name sometimes because people only think of the intensity. Um, but like my husband's on staff. So he used to have his own gym in Brooklyn and now he works for CrossFit, like the headquarters. And so he oh. travels. Yeah. So he's traveling on the weekends, um, training new trainers. Oh, so okay. these guys know their stuff in a really yeah. awesome way. Um, and yeah, so like we have a, we converted our, um, garage into a little gym so we've got like a weightlifting station out there and we've got our do you rower. have a gigantic like tractor tire that you <laughs> no <throw> at around his, <laughs> at his old gym in brooklyn like we had a big tire that we would flip and beat with uh big hammer and stuff. Awesome. He, 
he trained me for a while when we yeah. first started dating and oh, uh, wow. it didn't go so well. Okay. <laughs> so we, we ended up doing a wife swap where his buddy trained me and then my husband trained this guy's girlfriend and that worked better. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so do you have any hobbies besides making tiny humans? Like like craft type things or anything? Uh, I, I was thinking about that the other day. Like I keep making my hobbies my career. Yeah. <laughs> so, Funny how that happens. Yeah. And then things that would be my hobby I don't have time for. I used mm -hmm. to really love crocheting. Uh -huh. um, I used to, if you were my friend, you had a blanket, a scarf, you had booties. Like I made wow. you everything. Um, and I haven't, I haven't had time to do that um, in quite a while. So no, I don't think I have hobbies. It's, okay. it's writing. It's being at the park with my kids. Um, yeah. Occasionally when I can, reading um, something that fills me up. Yeah. Um, but you won't find me like, you know, water skiing or. <laughs> One day. One day I'll lose. One day. One day you'll close off your calendar to everything except water skiing and skydiving and it's tempting sometimes knitting I, I said to my husband the other day this I hope this doesn't sound too negative because I don't mean it that way but I'll clearly I need to be busy clearly oh, there's yeah. something in me that needs like if I have space I fill it with a brainstorm yep. um so that must be something that I need but um if I've if I've layered too much stuff onto my plate I'll say to him gosh Every three months or so, I feel like quitting everything and just being sitting in a hole where no one can reach. <laughs> oh like, my God, that sounds amazing. Right? Just sitting in a hole. Yeah. And that's just when I know that I've I've piled on a little too much. And yeah, um, yeah get back in touch with nature. Yep. Do meditation and I'm back on track. So um, you do do you meditate regularly? Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. I try to do, I mean, sometimes it's just 10 minutes a day, but I, it does. I used to, so I used to be a yoga teacher. I missed, I missed all that. Mm. Um, yeah. Like when I first moved to New York, I. I That's how a lot of dancers make ends meet is like yoga or Pilates mm -hmm. classes, right? Yeah. I, I was working in a restaurant, um, waitressing, and I did that for a couple of years. I'm like, this is not sustainable for me. Um, and so I started, I was taking a ton of yoga classes. And I was like, I have a dance background. And so I ended up getting certified and doing that and things worked out. And that's how I met my husband. He was my yoga teacher. So that'll Nice. Out. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, love that. Yeah. So I still, I used to think like meditate. I didn't get it. I didn't get meditating back uh -huh. in the day. I kind of thought it was this thing that you're supposed to do. Like I thought it was highbrow or something. Mm -hmm. Um, but now I'm realizing that it, it truly connects me to my brain and what it's actually thinking and my instincts. Um, I hear myself. I can't hear myself when I get too busy and meditating helps me actually listen to what I actually feel and think and what I actually want. So do you do guided meditations or are you just um, on your breath? Or... Sometimes there's this guy named Joe Dispenza. Have you ever heard mm -hmm. of him? Nope. He's this neuroscientist and he's also um, like really into spiritual teaching. So he's, he's always blending science with the spiritual, which I find really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes I do his guided meditations, but he, I don't know if it's the narrator in me, 
or the quality of his sound, it, the, the sound design, but like he booms as he's like doing his meditations. Like, okay. <laughs> I just feel like this is a little too much. So, um, I usually, it's usually just me sitting on a pillow with a candle and breathing. That's usually it. There's, um, a very popular meditation instructor, I guess, named Tara something or wait, is that or no, Tara, yes. Okay. So there's Tara Brock, but no, it's, it's Tamara something. And she sounds like you. She's on the call map now. She was, she was on a different meditation app. I'm going to, Tamara Levitt, I think is her name. And she, her voice sounds so much like you. Interesting. Um, I'll like forward you something. Okay. Um, but she's actually, she's actually my favorite guided meditation Sweet. person to listen to because I, I like your voice and I like yours. Um, so let's, speaking of voices, let's transition to narration. So Jody, our friend Jody, just wrote in to say that she loved hanging out with you at a Polycon and she adores you and thinks you're a wonderfully talented writer and narrator and she can't wait to read and listen to Shark Bait. Jody. Thank you, Jody. Shaz wrote in from Australia and said, I have listened to so many books Erin has narrated, and she is one of my go-to listens when I can't decide. You always know the narration is going to be fabulous. I see how hard she works with her writing and narrating with what she shares on social media, and she is inspiring with all of her achievements. It's so great to see. Oh, to have that much energy, she said. I was just wondering if she had a favorite author she enjoys narrating for and would always find time to book them into her busy schedule. Um, and uh, do you have a favorite subgenre to narrate? So I know from doing that panel with you on Book Bonanza that Jenna Aston is one of those authors. Yeah, she is. Um, my favorite subgenre is, is romantic comedy, for sure. Yes, for sure. Um, and I also really love romantic suspense when it's very well written. I find that really exciting. Like um, Ali Martinez. I don't know if yeah. she, it, does she call herself romantic suspense? Um, I don't know if that's something new that she's doing. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I don't, I'm like the worst person to talk to about romance. Honestly, I only know about what she's been doing recently because you were telling me how awesome her latest books right. are. So I kind of looked it up. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, actually, it's funny. I, I finally got to see Allie um, in, in person at Book Bonanza oh, okay. briefly and got to tell her, like, I, I've written her notes before, but got to tell her in person, like, how much her books have meant to me this year mm. and how delighted I am to be narrating some yeah. of them. Um, and I was talking about, like, the twists and the turns and just uh -huh. how smart they are and how she values her readers so much. And mm. you, you feel like she knows you're smart when she's writing oh, and not nice. that, like yeah not in that highbrow like let me be smart which not at all she right. just seems to value the reader's experience and um like I, I told her that and she she seemed to like hearing that but she was like you know she's like this is I didn't mean to do this I'm paraphrasing if, if yeah. you're listening <laughs> um but she's like I once I started doing these twists and these reveals then people started to see that as an Ali Martinez book. Hmm. And now when they're reading a new book, they're looking for the seeds of the twist in the very beginning. Oh. And just, you know, yeah. And um, I guess that, I guess that's inevitable, right? Um, people are trying to get ahead of whatever you're, uh -huh. you're trying to craft for them. If you're trying to give them a mystery or a suspenseful twist. 
Mm -hmm. um, so that was interesting. Um, but yeah, I would always make time for Ellie, Amy Dawes, yep. Jack Aston. There's so many. Um, but yeah, there's some, that's why I overbook myself because there's some people that they pop in like, ah, I, I will be so sad to see this go up without me participating in it. Well, <laughs> so. there, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of authors where like you're kind of exclusively their girl, right? <laughs> I mean, almost. Yeah, it happens sometimes. Yeah. You, you find a nice working partnership and yeah. uh, you just stick with it for a while. So. Um, so Crystal also had a general question about your narration. She wrote, uh, so it's moderately well known that Erin has an alias for the quote unquote dirtier books. Does mm -hmm. she approach those differently? She said, I kind of feel like when I'm listening that there's a switch that has been flipped when listening to Erin Mallon books versus XYZ books. You, we can say Muffy yeah, Newtown, right? Yeah, Muffy Newtown is my pseudonym and yeah. I'm open about my pseudonym, but many people aren't. So you can oh. talk about mine, but not others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but she says it, it sometimes feels like she's listening to two different people. Are you aware of that? I don't think I'm aware of that. Um, I don't think I am. That's interesting that she feels that way. I'm wondering if it's just because they're different types of books. So, and they're yeah. like a, a certain kind of character that you would choose to do a Muffy. <laughs> and is that what, is that how it works usually? Like, or do people request muffy new town or do you sometimes, sometimes say okay this do. feels like a muffy book <laughs> yeah sometimes they request muffy um and usually those are people that are very self-aware um and know the content of their book um where the lines drawn yeah but sometimes it's somebody who actually um maybe doesn't listen to a ton of audio but fell in love with a certain book and that was the name that i used on that book and so sometimes it's like that. Um, sometimes people will um, want to use my real name, um, but the book itself, like I, I can't for that particular book. And you know, listen, it's never because I, I try to only do books that I'm proud of. Yeah. So it's never like if it's a Muffy book, I'm not proud. It's um, I want people to know, I want the listeners to know the content of what they're getting. So yeah. I want them to pick up a Muffy book and, and know what they're going to get in, mm -hmm. you know, still exciting twists and turns and surprises, but yeah, but sometimes it, it's, it doesn't always work out. There's a couple of books. Um, if you go into my audible, where like it, they wanted Muffy for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And, and it's really not a Muffy book. It's oh, okay. uh, so people go in there wanting like darkness and sex and, and it's not there. So I try to avoid that, but it has happened a couple of times. It's not an exact science. So at what point in your narration career did Muffy become a thing? Right away. Because, really? yeah, um, the very first book I did was a young adult. And I did that under my real name. And the second book I did was erotica. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't do anymore. Um, but in the early days, nothing against erotica. It's just, I've, but there was a lot of that. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and I, you know, when you're new to something, you have to say yes to a lot of things to figure out where you're happiest and yeah. where you get the most feedback in terms of more work and reviews and happy authors and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so the second book was erotica and I knew I needed to separate that from the young yes. adult. And I thought I'd be doing more young adult at the time. Um, but then I ended up doing mostly romance. So it's, it feels a little bit of a moot point sometimes mm -hmm. but muffy does the the darker stuff 
Yeah. So Michelle S is wondering how you came up with that name. <laughs> it's so silly. It's so silly. If I if I went back in time, I'd probably pick something less cheeky, but it's it, it's fine. Um, I did the porn star name you thing. Did. <laughs> yeah, like I did. A cat it, my, my dog growing up, her dog. name was Muffin, and we called her Muffy. <laughs> and I lived on Newtown Road. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, it is cheeky though. It's perfect. It's it's a it, wonderful. It works. No regret. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Michelle also said, uh, "Did your amazing dude voice come naturally to you, or did you have to cultivate it over time?" And she said in parentheses, it's hot BTW, <laughs> Thank which you, you hear a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, I think, well, okay. So when I first started, I was in studios a lot. I, mm -hmm. uh, I like I took an eight week workshop with this awesome producer in New York that um, I won't say his name, but everyone knows him and, and he's wonderful and smart and very, very respected. And he had a certain way of working um, and it was very subtle. He wanted subtlety in everything. Mm -hmm. He wanted it to feel like a multicast kind of feel. He wanted distinct voices, but not too much. And I remember him always saying to me, less Aaron, less. <laughs> he, he wanted it to feel like you were almost whispering the story into the listener's ear. Okay. Um, so I took that to heart because that was the first person who was teaching me and he was he was opening doors for me. He would, um, he was very kind and he told me I could use his name for his producer friends to, um, like as a referral, wow. um, and got me some of my very first jobs. But the interesting thing that started happening was I would go into a studio to work on a book or audition for something. And I heard over and over again, Oh, you work with fill in the blank, the name. Mm -hmm. And they knew just from the style that I was working. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I started to think that might be a problem because right. I must not be doing something authentic. I'm, I'm putting something on because I wanted, I was learning and wanted to, to yep. please this, this person who knew way more than I do, uh -huh. still do. So I think after I got my first couple of jobs and I started to get more work, I had the opportunity to experiment more. And I, got my home studio and I was, I, I could be playful at home. And it was interesting. Like I felt very isolated for the first couple of years. You don't know if anyone's really enjoying your work. Right. Um, you don't, you don't get a lot of feedback. And back then, like I did my first, very first book in 2010. Um, but I didn't, wow. yeah, but that was, it was slow going for a while. I wasn't able to like quit other things and make this my, my prime focus until like three, four years later, by like 2013, 14, I was able to do it full time. Um, but I realized things started improving for me when I gave myself more freedom to play. And not mm -hmm. everyone loves what you do. No one will ever all love what you do. But I started to feel more authentic in my approach. Um, right. And when it came to the dude voice, I, I started playing a little bit because mm -hmm. one of the pieces of advice I got early on was like, no one's ever going to believe you're a dude. So don't even try. <laughs> And I get that, but I think in romance, people do want a taste of it. Yep. You're never, you aren't going to believe I'm a guy, but if I give you enough that we can suspend our disbelief and have some fun and go on a ride, I think it's worth it. So oh, you forget. So, I mean, as a listener, you forget sometimes it's, it's, it's weird. <laughs> it's so well, weird. I mean, you're, you're taking the journey. That's yeah. the idea. 
Like I think the best narrators, you're not thinking about them while you're listening. Oh, for sure. You're immersed in that story. And I think it's our job not to perform for you, but to, oh, what's the word? Like immerse ourselves so deeply in it that you're immersed too. And it's almost engaging. Yeah. And if you're thinking about Aaron while you're listening to this, I, it might not be ideal. I want you to be in the world that the author created and thinking about that. Yeah. I, I do think though, at this point, certain romance narrators have achieved a kind of celebrity where a lot of it is about the narrator, but not in a bad way. That doesn't mean you're not doing the sure. job the way you want to do it. Um, but I think that uh, well, yeah, narrators are a thing. <laughs> we are, and, and it's, it's awesome to see actually that yeah. people follow narrators now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so Thank great. Um, it's great for us and it's great for authors because if you're a newer author, um, oh, for sure. Then you have all these people listen to your book for the first time because you chose so and so. Yeah, it's it's really really interesting to see. Um, okay, so let's talk about the audio plays, which is probably what most listeners know you for as a writer. At least that's how it started. So, um, so when I had you and Emma McKenzie on last year, uh, you all read from Pale Blue Dots before that was released, and since then, Audible put it on sale, and it got up to number two, right? Overall bestseller on Audible that day, right? Which is huge. Yeah, yeah, it was That's, a really good thing. Like, that just doesn't happen to indie books, ever. Well, I'm glad that happened, then. <laughs> yeah, that it's wonderful. And you know, um, it, was, it was exciting that happened for that play, too, because... Yeah. That was a, that plays a bit of a risk. Um, it's all women. I mean, almost all women. Yeah, yeah. Because the work I do on stage, I I'm not being purposely experimental, but theater people are my people. Like, yeah, we have the freedom in the theater to like take you on a ride and like use the senses in different ways. Yes. Um, what do you see? What do you touch? Sometimes, like, what what are you tasting? Like, mm-hmm. it's. it's it's so sensual. Um, and what I love, what I have loved about the past couple of years of adapting my plays for audio is, okay, now how's this going to work when we're only, we only have what we hear? Um, and how can I still make that a sensory experience? Um, and I've had to adapt to the plays because the information that you get visually, you can't get. Um, yes. So, um, but the sound design for that was just phenomenal, and it really does feel like a sensory experience. It's so oh, cool. awesome! Yeah, I um was able to develop like a really great team, um, just organically as I did one after the other. Um, Nick Long did so my sound design for everything, and Tyler Whitlatch did all the editing and line mixing, which is a skill I don't think anyone can fully comprehend mm. how how skilled that man is to make mm-hmm. all these people sound like they're in the exact same space yeah um, and oh my god and what nick does is it's bananas like i have this play called the net will appear and it's it's a 75 year old man and a nine-year-old girl and they're on their neighbors and they're each on their roof their separate roofs oh, wow. and that's it for four acts over the course of a year and I didn't even realize the magic that Nick was creating with the sound design, but you always know what direction, like in your left ear, yeah, you hear, yeah, yeah. In your right, you hear her 
you hear down like the dog barking below you. Like it's bananas what they yeah. can do. So um, do Nick and Tyler or did they also do sound design and stuff like that for theater or were, did they start out doing do just you know, audio stuff? Nick does all kinds of stuff. He, he told me that his, his like entry into audio was through film. So I, th oh, okay. I think that's why he and I have worked so well together because he's used to sound designing films. So mm -hmm. he asks character driven questions. Right. Like he, I mean, in these walls can talk, he somehow decided that Tiny Eby's character, Georgia, that she has a bangle bracelet. And like, <laughs> we never talked about that. that but like, I cool. gave him, oh, yeah, I gave him freedom. I'm just like, you do what you like. Uh, here's the script. Here are the performances. What does it do for you? And what do you bring to it? And man, and so like, I'm just picturing Tanya Eby like with this bangle bracelet. That totally she... makes sense for her character. That's amazing. <laughs> just stuff like that that oh, just blew my mind and just delighted me. Like that collaboration is that's the theater person in me. Like I yeah. love that. Love that. Um. So Yael said I wanted to tell Aaron how much I loved these walls can talk. Oh. Audio play, it was my first audio play, and it's still my favorite. And so she was wondering if you knew who'd be narrating it when you wrote that, because she says when she hears it, it's like each character was written for the voice, but you wrote, you wrote them for stage first, right? The first one I wrote for the stage, and then okay. the second and third, I knew I was writing for audio. Oh, okay. So you yeah. had already cast the second and third ones. Yes, okay. I, I wrote the first one in uh january 2019 2019 we performed it in new york in february 2020 right before theater shut down for COVID. Oh, okay yeah and then when it shut down we just wanted to share some fun stuff with people that were quarantining at home and that's when we did an oral fixation reading where and so i just cast my narrator friends that i thought would be great in the roles and it went so well as like can yeah. we make a production and then we we did it and put it on on audible and then from there i was like i gotta keep writing for these people yep. um and then wrote the second and the third that's so cool okay so rebecca <clears throat> said um i absolutely love your radio plays i oh. really appreciate the outtakes you include at the end because it shows how much fun all the narrators have while recording it have you ever thought about creating something like a sitcom for our ears it could be 30-ish minutes and released weekly. Rebecca's going <laughs> to produce this for you. I'm not sure if something like that exists already in audiobook land, but I think it could be really fun. I mean, they're kind of doing stuff like that on Audible now, right? They call them, I think they call them podcasts, but they're actually like radio play series, kind of. Well, I haven't listened to them, but I probably <laughs> should. Um, um, no, I think it's a delightful idea. Um, yeah. I think... I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, Kaylee, but I think you're laughing because it's so time intensive and expensive, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, it's just 30-ish minutes and released weekly. And and to be honest, like I I would do all of these plays over and over again um, because they're like the work of my heart. Um, yeah, but yeah. they're short, right? Like uh, if you do an if you do a nine person play, mm -hmm. it's going to be two ish hours at most. Yeah. Um, and so if we're talking 
about people and their their credits on Audible, people are very hesitant to to part with their credits for something that short. Yes. So yeah, so that the financials of it are a little tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I plan to write my entire life, and I'm building um, a body of work, so yep. I'm not concerned with that. But um, but when it comes to like a weekly thing. You, you have to pay people what they're worth. And, and mm-hmm. these people that I love and adore who do such great work, they, yeah. they deserve to be paid well. So yeah. I don't think that's financially sustainable, right. but um, I do love the idea of serials. And I like mm-hmm. the idea of like choose your own adventure type stuff. I like pushing the boundaries of like how we make things. That's yeah. exciting for me. Yeah. I'll consider it for sure. So you'll find a way to do something like that at some yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> and and if I know you, you're going to do it. Thanks, girl. You're going to do it well. Um, so let's talk about the books you've written and narrated entirely yourself, starting with Flirtosaurus, which yeah. is book one in the Natural History series. And I recently listened to Flirtosaurus and it's just so nice of you. It's so no, it was my pleasure. It was like it was so fun and just feel good and breezy. And I honestly, I usually have really bad reading and listening habits, but I didn't want to stop listening to it because oh, it was, that makes me happy. It was so pleasant, and I was just like, I was delighted from the very beginning because the first word of the book is shit. For instance, <laughs> I know <laughs> then, you're not supposed to do, but. <laughs> Uh, and then in the first chapter, also, your heroine addresses the audience and references that this is a story, which is, I was like, that is so ballsy in novels, or possibly you're just used to writing monologues. So that's your instinct. Like, was that a choice? Or like, do you even realize that you did that? Um, I do realize it now. Yeah. Uh, and I realized it before you said it. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, it was my first book. And, and yeah, I was, I'm coming from the theater and that's where I'm most comfortable. Yeah. Um, and I wrote that book in, in private, really. Like I, I didn't tell anyone I was doing it because mm. I didn't know if I could. And I just, I wanted to have fun and see what was possible. So I didn't tell anyone I wrote it except for a couple friends until it was done. Um, and I'm so glad that I did that. I learned a ton between Flirtosaurus and Lovebug, the second book. I think Lovebug right. is a much stronger book, mm-hmm. thankfully. But um, that's what, I mean, I'm proud of Flirtosaurus and I'm, I, w- I wouldn't change anything, but I know more now than I did then. Um, and we all do, right? We just hope oh, to yeah. keep, keep building and changing. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. listen to too much. Like I can oversaturate myself with um, the right ways to do things and mm-hmm. listening to too many reader reviews and things Mm -hmm. like that and then when i find that it slows me down or stops me altogether you gotta say fuck it um no you're never gonna find any universally praised writer um Mm -hmm. so you gotta do what feels right to you i'm a different person now than i was two years ago when i wrote flirt of source Mm -hmm. so i wouldn't write that way again Mm -hmm. um so the series might feel a little um inconsistent because i think Mm. i think the style stays the same i'm still me but my approach to writing a novel has changed. Between- oh, sure. Oh, sure. That happens. But here's what I'll say. It's just, it's so pleasant to listen to because your writing style, at least in this book, well, I think in everything, um, 
it, it's like so conversational and there's this sense of familiarity like you're talking to a new friend and you're just like yeah. saying what's what and like is that something you're aware of doing like creating that tone or is that just your personality shining through Can you I even think answer that? That, <laughs> that book in particular I gosh I think I'm aware but that's what's fun for me like I don't know. My buddy, his name's Rob Askins. I haven't seen him in a long time, but he, he and I used to hang out in the theater a lot. And he had huge success with this play called Hand to God. It went to Broadway and it was just hilarious and sad and scary. He was just, he was able to do so much with that play. And um, he said to me one day, he's like, our only job is to make them want to know what happens next. And it's so, yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, duh of course that's what we need to do but I think we forget that sometimes and so I'm proud of Flirtosaurus because it's playful and it's it is me messing around and having a good time and hoping you do too yep is it great highbrow literature no but I think it's authentic I don't think anybody's looking for that true click on Flirtosaurus with that adorable cover accurate I Um, think that's But I think like Calliope, she's so in her head, but without sounding particularly neurotic, which I really admired because that's kind of hard to pull off. Thank you. Um, And I think that might also be your personality too. But but I I also very much liked that the words butt, poop, and fart were used so much, perhaps not as much as in a Kaylee Loring book, but a a goodly amount, like with the kids. Oh, okay. With the kids. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I felt, I felt very at home in your world. And I have to say that the whole sequence leading up to them boning for the first time Ah! at the museum, it's the funniest of that kind that I've heard. So bravo. I'm, I'm wondering if the initial idea for the plot of the story might've started with that scene when you were watching the Ross and Rachel episode of Friends, perhaps. (laughs) No, no, but, um, yeah, I, I, obviously I've seen that, um, (laughs) And I remember as I'm writing, I'm like, is this too much like that? I'm like, well, what can I do? He's an astronomer at a museum. Yeah. Like, they're going to do it at the museum. They're yep. going <laughs> to. Um, so, yeah, I, st- I definitely was conscious of that. I'm like, do not put any, like, um, ancient men, like, because in the, in the scene, right. <laughs> right, they had, like, I don't know what's the what's the proper term to talk about, like men like people back in the day what is it i'm sure the words have changed neanderthals yeah like is that an okay word to use i don't know but there was (laughs) i'm I'm feeling nervous about being pc about neanderthals (laughs) i don't think anyone's gonna write in to complain and i don't think any neanderthals are gonna write in to complain about the way we've handled (laughs) well i made sure not to mention them because i didn't want to be like ross and rachel Uh, yes Yes, I did consider that. Um, so there's a moment towards the end of the book where she bites Ralph's butt because his butt is so awesome. And I was like, soulmates, because <laughs> in my book, Bossy Christmas, the heroine did that too. And when I wrote it, I was like, are people going to think I'm too obsessed with butts? And then I just, I stopped caring because I am obsessed with butts because butts are awesome. And uh, you know what it is? I... <laughs> I think sex is weird. I think, 
I do. I think it's so weird. And I, I when love, you really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's super weird. And the fact that we're all so obsessed with it and um, I, I find it, I mean, sex is fantastic, but, but weird. So if I'm, if I'm writing a book or a play and the people are, are weird, the sex is probably going to be too. Right. So yeah, if they're funny, the sex is going to be funny. So I, yeah, I think so. And, and what I think if you really love someone and you're really hot for them and you have a deep connection, you're willing, you're willing to show the sides of yourself that aren't like palatable and aren't right. people aren't, you're not supposed to do, and you're not supposed to talk about. And I'm interested in characters like that, that really mm -hmm. reveal themselves. So yeah. So butts and farts. And I don't think any of my people have farted yet. I don't, I don't want to. Hey, my people don't. Well, I, d I do have a child who sharts in a book, but the, oh the heroes and heroines themselves do not fart. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, they just talk about it a lot because it's hilarious. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> um, so I wonder, and I think you almost touched on this at one point. So is it like extra hard for you to get into writing mode for your novels uh, like while you're also narrating? Because like you must read at least one romance novel a week when you're working as a narrator. I mean, I guess this is like right now you have the luxury of not doing both always at the same time, but like you have all these other authors' styles and characters' voices in your head all the time. I mean, and you do have a very strong, unique author's voice, but do you find yourself influenced by the books that you read while you're writing? Or is it is it easy for you to get into the moment and tune things out because of your training as a performer? You kind of have to do that? I don't know. I'm certainly learning. I feel very fortunate that my training ground as a novel writer, you know, I, I think my theatrical stuff probably comes through the most most strongly at this point and maybe always will and and that might be exactly as it should be but when it comes to novel writing I'm certainly learning a ton through yeah. what I'm narrating and mm -hmm. I feel very lucky for that um so if I'm narrating something that I think is is fucking fantastic I'm taking notes I'm not gonna there's I can I can only be me and they can only be them so right. I cannot take your style that's impossible I will always be me but I am learning like how I, I ignored tropes for a while. I, because mm. I, I think I, I think I have this sort of fuck you attitude yes. <laughs> when it comes to writing. Yeah. Because I'm not that girl in, in regular life. I'm, I'm this sweet girl that does the right thing. Like my mother in law said to me the other day, you always do the right thing. And, and she was so happy about that because she's my mother in law. Yeah. But I'm like, you're right. I've spent my whole life doing <laughs> the right thing. And it's exhausting. Yeah. So when it comes to my work, I need to let my instincts fly. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I'm I'm learning things about structure. I'm learning things like I resisted the tropes I said for a while. And then I real because in theater it's like you just you the playwright is like the thing. Like people yep. go to play because of what they've written. Mm -hmm. Um and it, it took me a while to come to terms with the fact that when you're in genre fiction there are expectations and yeah. if you don't meet them you're not serving that that what's the word um that population you're not serving them um mm -hmm. and you're not serving yourself because they're not going to buy your books or right. enjoy them right so i i'm i'm making peace isn't the right word but i'm i'm trying these days to marry 
my desire to do whatever the hell I want and marry that with the expectations and the tropes and the business sense to yeah. find something in the middle of those two things that's authentic and unique and marketable. So yeah. Yeah. figuring Well, we all have that journey. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you write in sequence? No, I do not. Um, I don't. Uh, until later when I have to. I, in the beginning of a project, it's just so important to me. Like, I didn't really answer your question about like, if it's hard for me to oh. get into my writing um, when I'm narrating. And, and the answer is yes, because I'm immersing myself in this world and this style and this tone mm -hmm. as I'm narrating. And then to hop out of the booth and try to get back into whatever thing I'm creating is very mm -hmm. challenging. Um, I figure it out, but things happen in a much... Hmm, things flow a lot better when I carve out the time. Okay. This week I'm only writing, um, things happen in a better way. Mm -hmm. Um, but what was the point that I was getting to? Um, well, I asked if you write in sequence, I don't know. if you're Oh, gonna oh yeah. Too, so when I'm starting a project, I need to let myself write whatever I want to this, write. The thing so, you're most excited about. Yeah. So if that's like a scene at the end, like an image that's really strong for me, I do that. If that's dialogue in the very beginning, I do that. And then, you know, it actually becomes a really cool thing because it becomes like a patchwork quilt of sorts mm -hmm. where I have all this stuff all over the place. And then when I return to it, it's almost like I didn't write it. I'm like, oh, that was a good idea. I forgot. Oh, it's almost like yeah. someone left me dialogue as a jumping off point. So I'm never starting like from that blank canvas that uh -huh. people are so afraid of, uh -huh. like I'll get to chapter 15 in sequence. Cause then I have to go back and I have to start to really plan and plot and, and make sense of it. But then I get to 15 and I have like, you know, 10 lines of dialogue of something that might happen. Uh -huh. and like, oh, and it's like past me left past that. You. Yeah. <laughs> I love really that girl. Thank you. <laughs> and then it doesn't feel like so much work because it's, yeah jumping off point there um so I'm like collaborating with old me and, and it, it yeah. happens the other way I'm like that with my plays too I bounce around until I can no longer bounce and I've got to start threading it yeah it's huh. it's easier to do it with scripts it's easier mm -hmm. to make a patchwork quilt with scripts than novels but yeah yeah girl yeah this um, writing thing man it takes a long <laughs> it really does. a while too but so much out of you um, so when I talked to Jason Clark for this podcast, he said that he workshopped a uh, flirtosaurus with Emma Wilder for you. Oh, yes, yeah. Yes. So, I, so do you workshop all of your manuscripts like that? Or was that just a special thing since this was your first novel? Well, my plays all go through sure. readings and development and, you know, before COVID I was like all over the country at different mm -hmm. development places and. Um, that's just the way it goes with plays. Um, but yeah, it was my first book and I think I had maybe like 60% of it written and oh. I just, wanted, yeah, I just wanted to see how some of it sounded with voices. I think I knew at that point that I was going to be narrating it and it's single POV, it's female mm -hmm. POV, but, um, I heard Jason's voice as Ralph. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, so it was, it was right before COVID and I was pregnant with, someone <laughs> mm -hmm. my third baby and um yeah so we went to um a rehearsal studio in new york which is closed so many closed during covid mm -hmm. and um they just read a bunch of scenes for me um and it was super super helpful just because 
we we have a shared language as narrators we yeah know when we're struggling in the booth and we know when something flies off the page uh-huh and i needed to make sure it, it flew um so that was a really helpful night so i it, i brought like some olives and almonds <laughs> a red wine illegal red wine and we sat there and it was really nice oh that's lovely so um do you write various drafts or are you a clean first draft writer i I edit as I write. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not someone that just goes full steam ahead and then goes back and does a full draft. Um, so I think I'm like that with my plays and it's just the way I've been with my books. Um, Cause I learned something in chapter 20 that influences chapter one and I'll rewrite it. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, I probably don't do like three, four solid drafts, but I think my first mm -hmm. draft is sort of like 3.5, you know? <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I'll get back notes from my editor and I'll go back and I'll do another draft. So oh. there's probably two drafts, but the first one is really a bunch. Okay. So now is perhaps a good time to share a little message with you from another friend of yours. Oh my goodness. This is so nice. Hey, Aaron. Jason Clark here. <laughs> I just want to say I'm so grateful to know you. You've supported me so much over the years, and having you there has been such a blessing. And I just want to say that I have such massive admiration for you. You have accomplished so many things. You have developed such a clear and amazing voice in your writing. You are such a talented narrator, and you're a wonderful mom and person. And I just hope you find the time to take care of yourself and continue to do all the great things you do i wish you all the best bye are you crying because I, I didn't know this was gonna happen. <laughs> i told you it was gonna be a celebration of Aaron Valley. really feel like i'm dying <laughs> I, that was certainly not the intent but <laughs> in like a good way <laughs> Dear really beloved, good. we are Thank gathered you. here today to celebrate the life oh of Aaron This is so morbid, but like, what if I die tomorrow? Then this is going <laughs> to Then, oh my God, so many people are going to listen to this episode. Oh my God, this is the best thing I can do for you. This would be so creepy. How sweet that was really is that, nice. though? That was nice. Oh, nice. Um, so so i'm so interested in knowing about narrating your own work but when i got to the end of uh the flirtosaurus audiobook there was a surprise chat between you and andy art talking about that exact subject and it was really wonderful to hear both of you talk about your experiences like it just it sounds like you were having so much fun narrating flirtosaurus but i'm wondering if you could sort of hear your writer's voice in the back of your brain while you were recording and going like oh, i should have written it this way or did you just make little changes as you recorded because it was before it was released right so right um narrating your own book is certainly the best way to catch those last little edits that mm -hmm. everyone missed um because you can't say it if it's not exactly right so there was definitely a bunch of edits that i had after narrating it that i had to send back to my formatter mm -hmm. um but I certainly heard things I would do differently, but I think it's a slippery slope if I start rewriting right. and narrating. So right. I, I, I kind of coached myself into not doing that. Do you do it less now than you did before? <laughs> like the wanting, or do you just 
like work on it more before you start narrating now? I think so. I think I'm also learning. It was hard for me at first. Um, one of the criticisms I got for Flirt of Source was that it's a much better listen than an eyeball read. And I fully I don't agree. know if that's a criticism, but. Oh, well, I think they meant it as one, <laughs> um, but that's okay. I I agree with them because for us as narrators, we, I mean, listen, we'll get dinged in reviews for the writing and we're the narrator. Right. We'll say like, <laughs> They'll say like that annoying narrator, the way she kept saying, he said, she said, why couldn't she just cut that out? I'm like, oh I, my can't, God. I can't. So the narrator is usually the first person to get blamed for things. I don't sure. mean the poor me thing, but it's, it's what happens. You're the messenger. Yeah. And, yep. and you know, it, it might, it might be, a. <laughs> it doesn't feel positive, but it, it might be indicative of a positive of like they're immersed. They, it feels like the narrator's story because right. they're so connected to it. So, right. yeah. Um, so with Flirtosaurus, I was trying to write what I, I, I was writing as a narrator, um, mm -hmm. as a writer who narrates, like what will come alive in audio? Because I knew that the only people that were going to download that book were people that knew me as a narrator because the, um, the market is so saturated, like no one, no one who just eyeball reads knew who I was. So if someone was going to download it, it was likely because mm -hmm. they, they follow narration. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew that. And, um, and I, I leaned into it, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but then I learned, because I think sometimes eyeball readers were confused who was speaking sometimes. I thought it was clear, but they got lost occasionally. And I get mm. that. So when it came to love bug, I was more conscious about not, not overdoing it with the tags. Cause that gets so laborious in audio, yep. but doing a little bit more to make sure it was clear mm -hmm. and thinking about the, the people who you read with their eyes exclusively more because I want to reach them and slowly, yeah. but the I am, um, yeah, it's a fine line. I, audio is obviously so important to me, but I want it to be something that everyone can enjoy. Oh, for sure. So on the subject of Flirtosaurus, Crystal would like to know if you've ever experienced a beer bath. And if so, what was it like? I have not. I have not. Um, How did you hear about it? Is, I is it just, a thing? It's, it is. Um, okay. I think it's, I mean, it's been so long since I wrote that book, but um, I think it's more of a European thing. That um, makes sense. There, yeah, they're like beer bathhouses and like the hops and stuff does something for you. I don't remember at this point, but. At the time, I did a bunch of research on it. Um, I think some people thought I like made that up or something and thought I was being extra weird. <laughs> <laughs> You're so extra. I'm just trying to be weird. Um, but I was, I'm never trying to be weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing, you guys. I'm really not. I, just, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I'll, I'll read a, a book and I'm just like, I don't think people talk like this. Like, I don't know. And, you know, I'm stylized, too. So maybe my people are, don't. If you go deep into a style, particularly in the theater, like mm -hmm. you're taking people on a journey. So mm -hmm. you might have stylized language. But hopefully, if you go on that ride, you connect with the emotions and the feelings um, and the humanity underneath it. Um, like it al almost like the style helps you surprise you into an experience you didn't know you were going to have. Mm. Um, but I think sometimes in romance we get so, um, I don't know what the word is, but like, 
we need it to sound exactly like life um, in a way that's not, not exciting for me. Like it's, um, right. <laughs> I need, I need a little bit of um, like juice behind it. So I like to play with language. I like yep. to play with, with style. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are we here for except to like follow our impulses and, and do what feels right to us? Because I can yeah. try to write like you and I never will. Like, so I, I better write like me. Yeah, you do. And um, Crystal would also like to know what you would replace sorry with because fuck you definitely isn't appropriate for the office. Ha ha, <laughs> she says. <laughs> yeah, if, any, if anyone's listening and, and they didn't hear Flirtosaurus, she's she's talking about like this thing that I've, I noticed in myself and other women where we almost use the word sorry as an opener. Like, mm-hmm. sorry, but like we're automatically apologizing for existing. And this character Calliope in, in Flirtosaurus, she's like anti that. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's trying to train herself out of apologizing for everything about herself. And so she's, she decides to replace sorry with fuck you. So like, uh, fuck you, what? Like if I did, <laughs> instead of sorry, what? Fuck you, what? Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I guess that's my answer. I, I would replace it with that because it like, it jolts you out. Yeah. We're so used to hearing women apologize. It's the opposite of sorry, yeah. Yeah, and just to have that moment where you're like, oh my God, what'd she say? Did she say fuck <laughs> I don't know. There's no real answer to that question, but. Not really. Um, so she wants to know, have you had a Dr. Knowles? And by the way, I loved your Dr. Knowles voice. It was, I mean, I'm saying I love your Dr. Knowles oh, voice. You. It was so. Thank you. Um, well, my child's pediatrician is named Dr. Knowles, so oh. I still have the name. But. Have I had like, but a in minute. terms of like a, a mentor, somebody that you idolized and who kind of helped you out, I guess, um, like a badass lady. I've had mentors, but you know what I noticed a couple more than a couple of years ago, a long time ago, I realized that I kept moving on from who I thought was my mentor. Um, you and evolved. I did- you mean you evolved well, past I- your mentor? <laughs> Well, I guess in hindsight, that might have been, uh, that sounds weird, but like, not really, they weren't the right person. Like, I'll I'll give you an example. I had this acting teacher when I was in my early twenties and she was always very complimentary of me and sort of like took me under her wing, but I started spending so much time with her and it was like, she didn't want me to work with anyone else. And, um, when I started like auditioning, like you're supposed to she would say things like Aaron's running around and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, she's running around. Like it would get back to me that like, she's not going to find what she's looking for. I'm like, I'm trying to just be in my early twenties and start oh working God. and have a career. And, um, but she, she just wanted us to like, cut, like be rehearsing for a play that never opens, you know? Okay. So I, I found a bunch of people like that. And I'm like, there must be something in me that's holding myself back that I keep choosing these people who want to hold me back. Um, so. Well, had- but good for you for not letting them hold you back for too long. Cause I've done that for years. Yeah, well, me too. But I remember I ran into that teacher a couple years after I left her class and stopped working with her theater company. And um, it was like in this burger shop in, in the lower East side we ran into each other there and she comes right up to the table. She says, hi, but then she goes, you need to stop being angry with me. 
yeah. And I'm like, I'm not angry with you. I'm just like, she all this time was thinking that I was like, I don't know what she thought I was angry at her for, but cause we never had a conversation about it. But I'm like, mm. I'm, I'm not angry with you. Like, I wish you the best. I'm just off doing whatever I'm doing. <laughs> Still running around. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> running around. Just every day, just <laughs> jogging in circles. That's all. Um, oh, wow. That's interesting. Um, okay. So let's talk about smart asses, the sexy nerd anthology that you basically produced. Yeah. Um, it was kind of a huge undertaking. So there are uh, mostly original stories from 12 rom-com authors. Learned. Learned. Yeah, um, including you and me. And it's just, it was a big project that you started putting together in like in the fall of last year. Um, yeah. Is that right? Or, yeah, I mean, I think I've been working on like a solid nine months or so. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally your baby. Um, at First, so at first the paperback was just for book bands and a polycon yeah. attendees to get signed by the authors who were there and the proceeds went to charity. So that was great. And now it's available for a limited time on pretty much all the e-reader platforms. And you just, you work hard all the time, it seems. And I'm sure you mostly love what you do, but like for me being privy to all the things you've been doing behind the scenes for this particular project, like to get more sales and at Book Bonanza, just getting it into people's hands and the logistics and everything. Like I'm just, I'm in awe. And like, you really, it's like you hustle, but you do it in a way that's so friendly and gentle. And you're just, you're such a good communicator. Oh, thank for you. For one thing. Thank you. Um, but it seems to me that like, when you have a goal, you just go after it relentlessly, don't you? <laughs> Uh, in some ways that I think in particular, I had to with this because I was taking a huge leap of faith with this. I, I was asking people to be part of it that had more knowledge than me and way bigger fan bases than me. Um, so I knew if I was going to ask them to be part of it and they were going to say, yes, I had to take good care of them. So there was definitely an extra drive in me to make sure okay. this was successful and that everyone felt well taken care of um, while I was learning a ton. Because yeah. I'll be honest, like up until this project, when it comes to the work that I've put out as a writer, I, I mean, we all have a ton to learn. It's a journey, but like oh, yeah. it's been, I was lucky to come into this already having a name as a narrator. So mm -hmm. new that I would have a, a small pocket, but a pocket of people that would buy what I was selling and, yep. and take and, and maybe enjoy it. But for this, I, I had to learn a ton because I haven't focused a lot on, um, as I said before, like eyeball readers. Like when I think yep. about putting work out, I think about like Jody and I think about mm -hmm. Liz, and I think about the people that I know love audio and I want mm -hmm. their face when they listen to a thing. And, mm -hmm. um, and I love that. But this was really, really a journey to learning how you market um, an ebook um, to people that don't care about audio. It was, it was heartbreaking for me at first to oh. realize that I wasn't going to put this out in audio in this form. I, right. I Which literally would have been impossible. Oh, girl, I pondered <laughs> all the ways to do it because I didn't want to let people down. The people, the people that have supported my work over these past two years right. are audio people. And yeah, I didn't yeah. want them to feel let down. But honestly, my life would have stopped um, and my finances would have like crumbled <laughs> to the ground if I had produced this 750 page. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> like, I you wouldn't have had to it. sell your house basically to finance it. It's oh my just... gosh. So yeah, when I made the decision that it it's not going to come out in audio in this form, um, I was able to focus in a different way. Yeah, yeah. But so just so people know, like after what is it, the end of October? Yeah. The the anthology run is over, and we all get the rights back to our individual. Mm -hmm. uh stories and you're going to be releasing showmancing the bone (laughs) separately um are you extending it a little bit uh i'm not i'm not it's a good length already right i mean it's thank you i think it's like 85 pages or so um yeah like i more than twice as long as my i think in the book i think it's like 30k i think 30,000 words something like that it's a good novella length yeah so I'm going to release it as is. I'm going to record it at the end of this month, uh, next week. And um, I think put it out um, in the in early November. Um, yeah. So you can get the ebook or the paperback. But like, I think the, the exciting thing will be the audio because that's what you can't get in smart asses. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So it's sort of extending in the same way that you've had a lot of incarnations as a person and as an artist mm-hmm. <laughs> smart asses and <laughs> all the stories are going to have yes. different iterations as well um so let's talk sexy nerds you did a thing on tiktok saying that doogie hauser was your first celebrity <laughs> crush which is he's an excellent example of a sexy nerd yes um yes. i didn't do a stitch because tiktok still confuses me but i just so i w- just want to tell you now my favorite celebrity yeah. sexy nerds are Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh, yeah, I guess he is a nerd. He He's a nerd, but he's yeah. also hot, incredibly talented. Yes. Um, and Stephen Colbert and Jon Stewart, who obviously I like the funny guys. Um, and this is going to sound creepy, but I happen to know that I'm not the only grown woman who feels this way, but I've always had a weird thing for Michael Sarah, <laughs> circa his super bad oh, era. Sure. Like, yeah. You can't explain it, and I, I don't necessarily feel the same way about him now, but he was just magical back then, mm-hmm. right? He has this quality. It's so interesting. He's so um, sensitive and so open. But like, he also has so this surprising little badass quality to him every now and then, and it was just, I just, I just loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so, uh, so speaking of sexy nerds, let's hear from one more of your friends here before we continue talking about smart asses yeah hello aaron teddy <laughs> hamilton here to say hello oh, um boy. before i get into it i did want to just thank you so much for all the really nice things you've been saying about me during this interview like this interview is about <laughs> you aaron this isn't about me but i really do appreciate you taking the time to talk about how I'm your favorite narrator to work with. And like, and Kaylee too, you know, uh, talking about how, how you've read some of my written works and you think that they're like brilliant. I, I think it's just so kind of you guys to, to give me this time, which really it should be about you. Sure. Funny segue. I think that that's actually one of my favorite things about Aaron Mallon is that it's almost never about Aaron Mallon. If anything that I'm ever working on, it's about the book. It's mm-hmm. about how she's narrating, it's about what she's written and making sure that that thing gets achieved, how the people who are working with her are doing, how the her fucking kids are doing. Like, 
everything that surrounds Erin Mallon to me is something that she takes a lot of care to make sure is in top-notch condition, whether it's people, her craft, what the audiences are getting from her. Um, I think she's a caregiver. She's a helper. She's somebody who uplifts the art and also uplifts the people around her. So it's always a joy to work with her. And I hope that she takes some nice time for herself every once in a while. All right. Good to talk to you. Goodbye. Oh so, my god. That's so sweet. He he labeled the file that he sent me Teddy loves Aaron. How cute oh, is I that? How fucking cute is that? <laughs> my buddy. Oh my that was so sweet. I had no idea that Teddy and Jason worry that I'm not getting enough me time. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that there is a you theme in your friends' messages? <laughs> like especially the guys are so worried about that. But I think Emmett and I also kind of hinted at that too. But uh that was lovely. Kaylee, it's so nice that you do this for well, it's such a everybody lovely. loves you. And I also got that feeling that uh, for you, it's always about other people. <laughs> I just wanted you to hear how much people love you very oh, specifically. Um, but yeah, like I was looking at your titles on Audible and I saw that, which now is over like 500 or whatever. And uh, like maybe half of them at least are with Teddy. Does that feel right to you? <laughs> Gosh, a lot, you know, um, when authors come to me directly and they they like I'm gonna produce the the product for them, they always ask who who do you want to work with? And mm. I've got I've got a couple people and almost always the top in of your my back head. pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can announce something fun. I, I've told some people, but like so when I was writing my third book, Shark Bait, I was I was stalled for a long time. And I realized it's that I've changed quite a bit and learned a lot since mm -hmm. I wrote one and two. And um I was craving to write the male POV and the first two books are oh. all POV. And I was like, this is a series. I got to be consistent. And I was like, well, it's a matter of being consistent or the book not existing. Right. So, um, so I wrote it in dual POV. <gasps> yeah. And I was like, you know, some people might, might ding it for that, but the book exists and I'm excited about it now. So, um, yeah. So Teddy is playing my guy in shark. Bait. In shark bait. Yeah. That's yeah. so great. So that is Ralph's sister's story. Is that right? Yes. Her name's Louise and she's a marine biologist. And so you meet her in Flirtosaurus towards the middle and end. Yeah. And then she shows up more in Love Bug. And then she gets her story in Shark Bait. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So, so back to Smartasses first though. But um, so I finally read your story in the anthology, which is called Showmancing the Bone. And it's really funny and wonderfully nerdtastic. And it combines two of your great loves, right? Theater and soup. <laughs> I actually don't have a great love for soup, but oh, you um, don't. You were just using it for your. I'm using story. it, yeah. Like, I like this idea of. Um, I, I was noticing how, especially in New York, people are getting really nichey. So it's oh, like yeah. this: this bodega only sells mac and cheese, but right. <laughs> all these different kinds of mac and cheese, and this one only does, you know, pita bread, and like. So I, I wanted to write about a, a soup restaurant. So it only sells soup. And, and I kind of like the idea of like taking non-sexy things and trying to make them sexy. Oh, sure. But it's fun for me. So um, yeah, sexy soup guy. And, and like you hear soup and it's like inherently comforting, right? Oh, yeah. like, so writing a guy who's like sexy, but like, like a teddy bear. 
um, and is always interesting been... choice of words. <laughs> oh yeah, true, true. <laughs> um, yeah, so that kind of just just happened. Um, soup is not a big thing for me, but it ended up being in this in this novella. Yeah, but regardless, I would like to bestow a special literary award upon you for naming a soup Chatterish Gambino. I was proud of that. <laughs> and a piece of cereal art, uh, Applejack the Ripper. <laughs> so congratulations. Thank you. That's the kind of stuff I just have fun with. Like, yeah. Um, I remember a, a, what I won't say her name, but a really well-known author, I asked her to be part of Smart Asses and she said she couldn't. She said she wanted to, but she couldn't because she's realized she hates writing novellas. She said, because they take just as much time and world building and character work as a novel, but you know, only 25,000 words or whatever. Right. She's like, I just can't do it to myself anymore. She's like, it pains me, but I can't. I was like, I hear that. Um, because just because it's shorter, doesn't mean that the details or the world building is, is less. So when I was working on that, I was like, wow, I got to create a soup restaurant and I got to create a cereal restaurant. Like, um, and you just got to go deep into it. That's, that's the job. Yeah. You dove that's deep fun. into the soup. Um, so, but you said that your husband helped you come up with soup names. Did you guys like have a brainstorming session or was he just kind of texting you ideas when he thought of them? We, we did have a little brainstorming session. He, <laughs> so um, it's, it's been less the past couple of years with COVID that he can come see my plays produced. Um, yeah. But like, I, I would usually not tell him much about what I was writing because I wanted him just to experience it on the night of like opening night. Um, and so we had a lot of fun with that. And he would always be like, that was, I said that, that was that thing. Like he would point, he, he would, <laughs> you wanted credit. Well, sort of, he'd notice <laughs> like inspired by our life together. Right. Um, and then, yeah, he would joke that he writes all my plays when he knows he's, <laughs> a, he does that. but, um, but yeah, so when it comes to my books, sometimes, like, if I need one little idea, he'll be like, okay, I wrote this book too. <laughs> um, yeah, so when it came to the soup names, I told him the ones that I had, and, and I was like, what else can we play on? Like, um, so we, we we bopped around a little. And I, I've dedicated my first three books to my kids. I was like, well, I got to I gotta dedicate something to my yeah. eventually. And I feel a little bad that it's a novella, but I'm sure there'll be other things well, that hey. I dedicate to him too. Yeah it's it's a world it's a world and i don't um, know if i i might um i don't know some some people in our smart asses um anthology were really smart and they wrote like a kickoff novella for like a series they were planning so hopefully yeah. people read this and then they're like oh i, I like this novella and it launches them into the series that they're writing yeah. i was not i didn't do that i i'd considered writing something because i'm writing three follow-up novellas for oh, um, the natural history series i'm going to put that out um next year so i yeah so i considered doing one of those for smart asses but then this this idea came to me and i went with it but i might launch into something else i'm not sure well that's what i was going to ask you was this a story idea that you've had for a while and you realized this would be the right time and place to write it or were you like me and kind of went oh shit, i have to write something for this anthology and just like came up with something it was, it was sort of like that. It was kind of because I, I thought I was going to write this follow-up to Flirtosaurus for it um, mm -hmm. because they're, they're all nerds. They're all like yeah. science nerds. Um, 
but it wasn't happening. And I was like, I think I need to write something like completely new, completely new characters and just get out of my head. And this is what started coming out. So I went with it. But now that I've kicked it off, like at, spoiler alert, at the end of the story, like they're going to start a theater company together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I can, I can play with that. Like I, I have mapped out some ideas. Like I have a bunch of series, like not, not fully mapped out, but like sketched out. What could this be? What's the next mm. thing I should turn into? And one of them is like a theater where one, one um, book you focus on like a musician in the orchestra, the next one you focus on the dancer in the chorus. And like, oh, I cool. Yeah. Well, I would love that. Yeah. I might. And, and I have that, that all lives in me. That's like, I don't have to research that. That's my yeah, life. Exactly. Well, Maybe. so, so in this story, there's a production of a play by a community theater group in this soup restaurant. And so have you ever had a production of something you've written or just started that like was in a non-traditional stage environment like that? Oh, sure. Um, yes, but I think, I think the inspiration was one of the first plays I did. Um, I was a teenager, I think I was like 16 or 17. And I did a, a murder mystery in a, oh. in a dinner theater. Right. Um, in the town where I grew up and it was like summer in between like junior and senior year or something. And it was wild. So doing dinner theater is really something where people like munching on their salads and mm -hmm. watching it. it was a murder mystery. And I remember like, I was like 16 and I had to make out with like this very old man. Oh, <laughs> like it was, it's, He wasn't very old, but to a 16 year old, he felt sure. Old. Um, yeah. So I think that dinner theater experience was what I drew from for this book. But, um, but yeah, I've had my place done in some weird, weird spaces. New York's a strange town. Yeah, but in a really awesome way. Yes. Um, so, so you're narrating Showmancing the Bone solo. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, and you are going to be narrating the audiobook for my story in duet along with Connor. So this is going to be the first time you... Narrate one of my stories, and I'm, I'm going to add a little bit. And I'm I'm especially excited to hear you voice the farting French bulldog. So I guess I lied. There are there's another character that I've written that farts, and it's it's a dog. But I wrote that just for you. Thank you. I can't wait. Yeah. I'm excited about that. So I have um, two more questions from fans, and then we're both going to go to our separate beds. <laughs> um, so this is from... separate. Do you think yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, clearly we get along so well and people can't yeah. tell that we're not in the same room together. So right. right. Um, so this is from Michelle again. Uh, you inherit $5 million. What is the first car you would buy, country you would visit, cuisine you would eat, and celebrity you would take with you? And I assume she means take with you to a country or maybe to have dinner with. So... Oh, oh, I don't do great with these kinds of questions. <laughs> Shall I break it down again? Well, so I think I got it. I think I'll ask you. Um, I don't notice cars. I have yeah, car business. My brother had the same car for three years. And every time he pulled up and I was like, new car? <laughs> He's like, no, it's not a new car. Uh, so I, I just want something that runs. Do you ride a bike? No, no. I picture you. Well, I'm. I'm still gonna picture you riding a bike <laughs> I, around I your a bike, and it got stolen before I left Brooklyn. Oh, Brooklyn. I, I haven't had one since. Mm -hmm. 
So well, I would like you to be riding around in a bike with a basket. Okay, friends, I'll work on that for you. <laughs> um, what cuisine would I have? I might have some really good sushi. Okay. Um, what country would I visit? Um, I don't know. I, I have this weird desire to go to Fiji. Um, Is never. that really weird? I don't think so. I think a lot of people No, want I to don't do know. it. I feel like I should say like Sweden. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, I don't know. Like, I want to go when to. you win the Nobel Prize or is that Switzerland? No, that's Sweden, right? I don't know. Switzerland. Um, and the celebrity. Uh, um, the first person that came to mind is um, Joshua Jackson, Pacey Witter from Dawson's Creek. Sure. Another sexy nerd. Like a genuinely nice guy and he Yep. influenced me as a young one so Uh, he influenced the kind of guy that you're into is what you're saying. I think well I was in a I was a teenager in like my first like real love relationship and he was not good to me and and I I was watching Dawson's Creek I'm like oh is this do can people actually like like this boyfriend he, like, he didn't he wanted to be with me but not like me he didn't want to like know me and like And seeing these guys who are obviously fictional, but like really wanting to know people and talk about them and like, wow, okay. Um, so I remember this push pull of like, why am I still? I I say I love this guy, but there are guys like Pacey Witter. <laughs> He's the gold standard now. Yeah. I see. I like that. Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah. You All and right. Josh, Josh Jackson. Okay. So here's an epic short question from Marla. If you were to be in history books, what would you want to be remembered for? Super Oh. I'm done. easy question. <laughs> Um, it's, it sounds so cliche, but honest to God, I want to be a good mom. Like I, Yeah. I don't think moms make history books for being good moms, but like, And they should. yeah, <laughs> yeah. but no one, I mean, to these three children, like it's epic, like who you get as your mom is massive. Um, Yeah. and that shapes so much of how you see the world and how you see yourself. And um, I so much want them to look back when they're adults and, and be proud of how I raised them and still, I want them to still want to be with me and spend time with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, Pretty that's sure very they will. important. People seem to like you, Aaron Mallon. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, I'm sure your kids will too. I hope so. It's just tricky. Like, cause you're, I'm, I, <laughs> with my career, I want them to see me having fun because I mm want hmm them to know that they can do the same in whatever Yeah. they decide to do. Um, but to work hard and accomplish things, you do have to spend time apart from them. So Yeah. it's, it's a, it's always a push pull. And I try not to give into mom guilt too much because I spend a lot of time with these goobers, Yeah. but it's, it's always a bit of a push pull. So <laughs> okay. Well, good answer. thanks. Good answer. So it's our bedtime. This is at six forty-one for me. <laughs> but um, but thank you for nerding out with me, and uh, Oh my gosh, and thank you. huge Thank congratulations you. again on being a USA Today bestseller and all-around You girl. great beloved person. <laughs> So nice. So nice. Um, so don't, please don't die tomorrow. I almost said I can die <laughs> happy now, but I no, don't want that. don't let's Got, got a lot more I want to do. don't, uh, don't just don't leave the house tomorrow. Don't, don't cut up a bunch of stuff or.
Make okay. sure you turn off all the. This is creepy. I'm gonna see what <laughs> and then they're gonna be like messaging me to make sure. Uh, I'm yeah, okay. yeah, that I will too weird. for sure. <laughs> okay, well, this was wonderful, and I'll yeah. we'll probably message tomorrow. Friend, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. How great is Erin Mallon, you guys? Uh, so this is fresh from Erin's booth. She just recorded the audio for her novella, Showmancing the Bone, this week. And here's an early sneak listen of this November release. Prologue Nobody ever tells you just how bright stage lights are. When you're sitting happily in your theater seat, watching the performers up there acting and bowing and curtsying, you have no idea that their eyeballs are being incinerated. What heroes? Never in a million years did I expect to be up here experiencing the eyeball melting firsthand. I shield my face from the light for a moment to look out over the audience. Shit, that's not part of the blocking. I'm supposed to pretend I'm looking out over a crystalline blue ocean. I rest my arm back down by my side. Right, it's an ocean. An ocean. The words of this final monologue are steadily and magically coming out of my mouth, but all I can think about is that at any moment, my incredibly sexy co-star will wrap his arms around me from behind and say, Can I spoon-feed you my latest concoction? Eep! There he is! Right on cue! Such an exacting and inspired performer. Did I imagine that he stressed the cock syllable in the word concoction a little more than was necessary? I've watched him rehearse this play a dozen times, and I have never heard him pronounce it that way before. It must have been my imagination. His firm chest nestles against my back, and I want to sob. His stubbled cheek brushes my soft one, and I want to sing. One strong arm wraps around my middle, while the other sends a spoon tenderly toward my lips, and I want to tear off my clothes and do a damn jig. Focus. You are a professional. Oh my god. This is it? This is the big moment? Breathe, Wendy. Breathe. Also, blink, Wendy. Blink. This is my cue to take a sip from the spoon, then toss it to the ground like the sassy siren my character is. The trouble is, when I taste what he's made, what he's clearly made for me... My heart fills to overflowing, and my brain and body are no longer in communication. I fling that spoon out of his hand like a son of a bitch. It flies out into the audience and beans a bald man at the center table. Oops, I break the fourth wall for a millisecond and see that he's okay. I'll apologize to him after. For now, stay in character, Wendy. Stay the fuck in character. My mind flashes back to my stage management binder and the meticulous blocking notes I have documented there. The tenant says, I've never tasted anything sweeter, then grabs his face and kisses the ever-loving soup out of him. Can I do it? Can I kiss the ever-loving soup out of this incredible man for the very first time while an audience of over a hundred watches? Hell yes, I can. The question is, tongue or no tongue? At that moment, all knowledge of stage etiquette flies out of my mind, so I decide to follow the advice Liam gave in that first rehearsal so many weeks ago. Put all of your attention on your scene partner. And I get my answer. By the look on my scene partner's face, 
We're going with tongue. Okay, so I had asked Emma Wilder to record the intro for this episode about a month ago because she was going to go out of town. And I wrote a small part of it, including the Uranus jokes part, because Erin had written a Uranus joke into her play, Pale Blue Dots. Um, Emma then added all the wonderful stuff about her friend in the middle, and then a few weeks later, NASA and the universe literally provided some new Uranus jokes. So here's classically trained actor Connor Crace with some exciting current event news about Uranus. And if you don't get the reference at the end of the segment, you should listen to Season 1, Episode 2 of Multiple Eargasms, where Connor was my guest for the very first time. Enjoy. Have you heard the news? NASA has decided to probe Uranus. They're going to explore the surface of Uranus and go deep inside Uranus. The mission to Uranus, they say, will be absolutely transformative. Here are three questions the NASA is aching to find the answers to with this probe of Uranus. 1. When and where did Uranus form in the protosolar nebula? 2. Did Uranus and Neptune migrate or swap positions? 3. Did a catastrophic giant impact tilt Uranus and rearrange its interior? Five. Actually, there aren't five things listed here. Kaylee just wanted to hear me say five again. This is Mackenzie Cartwright, also known as the official voice of Kaylee Loring's Lady Parts, Multiple Eargasms with Kaylee Loring is produced by Elysian Nightfall Studios and The Audio Flow. To learn more about your host, you can visit www.kayleeloring.com. Thank you for eargasming.